0: Hi, this is Jeff. If you have any interest in supporting this podcast, you can visit patreon.com backslash evolving podcast for more information. Thank you. Listening to Jeff Grant's Evolving Podcast, a podcast dedicated to being inconsistent. How's it going, everybody? Today, we're going to talk about emergency work. My friend, Brick, who was on the previous episode, Long Distance Romance, is back. It's just him. Hello! Hey, what's up? Oh, uh, you know, living the dream, as usual. I was going to say, I didn't realize this until this morning, but, like, this is actually Rachel, your girlfriend. This is her birthday,
1: it is her birthday her record- and I'm on a podcast instead of calling her and talking to her.
0: <laughs> I saw that this morning and I was like, oh, oh!" I hope this doesn't cut into any.
1: Yes, like- I definitely didn't forget. I definitely didn't talk to her for like an hour this morning and have to call her back and tell her happy birthday because I didn't I entirely forgot to say it that whole time. Definitely didn't do that.
0: I wanted to wish Rachel another happy birthday from the podcast, even though this will come out like a few days later. But It's okay.
1: We will make sure to let her know to listen. Just for that. <laughs> All right, you're done, Rachel. You can you can stop listening now. You've already probably already heard the rest of this.
0: <laughs> so okay, um you're an EMT.
1: I am an emergency medical technician, yes. Yes I am.
0: How long that have you been doing job.
1: this? I so so I've had my certification since twenty twelve. So I've had my certification for seven years, give or take, yeah, seven years, and um, I have been in the like in the actual field on the private ambulance side for a little over two years now in total. I worked a couple summers, and then I've worked at my current employer for about a year and a half now.
0: Okay. I had to, like, I wasn't, I don't know a lot about this, so I watched, like, all these YouTube videos the other day with, about, like a day in the life of like an ambulance worker or an EMT. Cause I wasn't, mm-hmm. I really wasn't sure when you go into work, like you don't go straight. It's like, you don't, there's not like an ambulance parked somewhere and you just go clock in and sit down in the ambulance and just wait for a call. You're not in the ambulance the whole time.
1: Actually I am for the most part. Oh, you are. Uh, so I don't work for, so what you probably saw and what most people think of when they think of an EMT arriving in an ambulance is mm-hmm. actually normally Normally with an asterisk, because as always in life with humans, there's always an exception. But for most people in the United States, I can't speak to other countries. But for most people in the United States, when they call 911 and an ambulance shows up, that is usually the fire department. Now, in some places, they will have a separate agency specifically for EMS or just medical services. Um, So some places will have like. Up the town I lived in for a while, Columbus, Indiana, has a separate EMS service run by the hospital. The fire department doesn't do it. It's a separate service. They have their own stations. They respond to 911 with their own ambulances. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. most people will have the fire department show up when they call 911 and have an emergency.
0: I don't do that. That I don't do that. That was one thing I, whenever you call 911, it's basically like the fire department the police and the emts who are going to be mm-hmm. potentially coming whoever whatever depending on what it is i guess mm-hmm.
1: generally well, yep yeah.
0: what were you saying before
1: so what i was saying is that i don't actually do that type of ems there's actually two types of ems there's the type of ems that everybody thinks of when you say the word ems which is the guys who show up when you call 911 mm-hmm. and then there's the rest of us who do the job that I do which is private ambulance services.
0: So, does that mean it's not necessarily emergency or is it usually That means
1: it's generally 99.5% of the time not emergency.
0: Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, okay. So, is it through the hospital or So, a hospital. Generally,
1: generally again, there's a lot I'm listeners, you'll I, I know I'm calling out to the listeners again which no one else does. But I'm going to do it anyway. Listeners, you'll will, you will have to forgive me, but I will be using the word asterisk a lot behind things. Because <laughs> in my field, there's a lot of yes, everywhere except for or yeah, except I know this one place where kind of things. So on the in general, private ambulance services do two to three different things primarily. They take people to and from dialysis. There's a surprising number of people who are on dialysis. It's something you never notice you start, until you start looking for it. And then you will see dialysis centers everywhere. Hmm. It, is becoming a, it is a bigger and bigger industry.
0: Can you explain what, what that is? So dialysis
1: is what is a medical process by which waste products are removed from your bloodstream. You have to go on to dialysis when you are in renal failure, which is your kidneys are shutting down. And there are a lot of people in, this, in the U.S. whose kidneys are failing, and they have to go on dialysis. And because of some laws that were passed in, I think it was the 60s, the U.S. government guaranteed that, would, that they would pay for dialysis for people on Medicare, I believe. Medicare, Medicaid, I believe is how it worked. And so that's why there's this just tremendously booming industry for it, because it's a guaranteed thing for people. But I'm kind of speaking out of my butt on that one. I watched uh, a Last Week Tonight episode about it, and that's why I know that little bit of it. But all I know is, long story short, there's a lot of people on dialysis. And there's more and more people every day on dialysis.
0: And And you transport people between dialysis?
1: So I don't do this as much. My company doesn't have as many of these, but there are EMTs every day who work for private ambulance companies and normally taking people to and from dialysis centers yes i should probably back up and say not everyone who goes to dialysis goes by ambulance okay yeah. uh, so someone i take someone to i would take someone to and from dialysis if they can't get themselves in and out of a wheelchair or they're not mentally capable of making their own medical decisions and stuff and they don't have They're not like ambulatory in a way where somebody else could get them there. Or if they cannot regulate their own oxygen supply for whatever reason, if they are on oxygen for whatever reason, and they cannot regulate that themselves, we have to take them because we're trained in how to administer that. So if they're, you know, if they've had a stroke and can't walk, they generally have to go by ambulance on our stretcher. So if one of those three conditions is met or multiple of those, we will take them in the ambulance generally.
0: Do you usually work with like a partner or at least? Yes. There's usually like at least one of us in the truck. Two. Okay.
1: We usually switch back and forth uh, uh, between driving and doing patient care. Or sometimes we'll do like half the day, we'll do patient care. Half the day we'll drive. Different partners, you know, different partnerships do it different ways, but you just kind of figure it out between the two of you rock, paper, scissors if you have to, you know, that kind of thing.
0: And you were saying most of your work is out of the truck?
1: Yes. Okay. On the private side, at least, you get, in the, you generally get your stuff together, get in the truck in the morning, and you are pretty much in, in and out of the truck all day doing runs. If you have, a, if you have some downtime, you can go run into a restaurant and get fast food or something like that. But on the whole, you're pretty much the truck is your office. On the private side
0: and you were saying just before we started recording like you've been working all weekend like 12 hours yeah
1: i have a weird rotate i have a weird schedule 14 day rotating schedule where i work every monday and wednesday and then every other weekend i work friday saturday sunday mm-hmm. so this was my four day weekend essentially where i worked friday saturday sunday monday which is technically oh, the right. end of the rotation in the beginning like starting at the beginning of the The rotation there because you know it's Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday. I don't work this coming weekend, so I don't work again until next Monday. But then I work Monday, off Tuesday, work Wednesday, off Thursday, work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday of the next
0: rotation. These are days, not nights, or I guess, yeah, I work 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. generally. How busy are you usually? Like, I am
1: usually working pretty much the whole time. It's not a whole lot if we're not, uh, you know, again, it depends on whether or not I'm driving or not. But, you know, you the person who's not driving gets some downtime in between calls as you're driving to the next one. But generally, once we clear off of the one we're on, we're off to the next call.
0: Now I'm wondering, like, if you said it's between calls, are the, are these ever like appointments or something?
1: Yeah. So actually, I guess I didn't go into that. There's, there's three different types of runs we'll usually do again, depends on the service, three to four. First is dialysis. Second is hospital discharges. So if somebody is going, and again, the conditions I, I said for why we would take somebody to dialysis, why we, we would be the ones taking them to dialysis, those are also the conditions for those are basically the, the three ways we would be transporting someone in basically any circumstance, except for emergency the rare emergency call that we get but that's a whole the kettle of fish that we'll talk about later for non-emergency transportation like i do 99.5 percent of the time taking them to dialysis i'm taking them home from the hospital to a skilled nursing facility or their house or an assisted living center or i am taking them to a doctor's appointment one of those three things generally
0: are a lot of the patients like older people or
1: yes I would say eighty to ninety percent, somewhere in there, of my patients are over the age of sixty-five.
0: Okay, this is funny because I, I kind of like—I wasn't I, all I knew was you were EMT. So I'm like looking at all this stuff about. Um, I feel like all the <laughs> stuff I researched was like not really accurate to what what you're. Job well, is. but
1: that's that's the fun of it
0: it's like yeah
1: no that's there everybody that's that's what I simultaneously love and just somewhat kind of just like about the public perception of my job is that when I say EMT everybody's like oh you're on the fire truck no no I'm not I do I do something very different I have the same training as those guys well yeah I'm just, so every so that's we can get to education at a different point at a different part. I have the same education as those guys. I have the same training. I follow the same protocols as firefighters. I just do a different. I just work on a different aspect of the of the healthcare system. I work on the rear end, generally, and they work on the front end. They bring them in, and I take them out, generally.
0: Okay, you said this morning you had a a class at a school. Uh Is what you're studying have to do with what your job is? No, it does not.
1: EMS was actually a side gig that I took. I I took the class during a year off from school and then really liked it. I've kept my certification up. And then now that I've been off of or had been off of school for essentially two academic years. said last time I was in school was spring of 2017. It's now the fall of 2019. So, yeah, basically two years which has been very cool. And I think I want to continue it for a while, but I'm three classes away from my degree in international studies. So I figured might as well get that done.
0: Okay. So you're not, you're not necessarily trying to finish so you can move. I mean, it it will be
1: nice to have a bachelor's degree, right? (laughs) But it's not necessarily it to, to, I guess to answer your question, no, it's not linked to what I'm currently doing right now. It is just what I really enjoyed studying
0: might be able to merge the two in time as well so you never know is this kind of work is it something you've been interested in like your whole life or was it something you got into a little later Um,
1: so this particular aspect of ems not necessarily because i didn't know about it before i took the class and everything but i have always been fascinated with emergency vehicles my dad loves to uh lovingly remind me of how I used to say the words emergency vehicles except I couldn't say G's or V's so I said them in a more childlike manner that I'm not going to repeat here because I don't want to embarrass myself in that manner oh man but I've always I've always the flashy lights and the sirens have always been a siren call to me so (laughs) siren call (laughs) Uh, (laughs) lordy I I appreciate that. Anyway, so yes, so it's yes. It it fulfills the strong desire that I have of helping people, while also going along with a lot of my desires to not have to deal with people too much.
0: It sounds like a different version than the thing I was (laughs) the YouTube videos I was watching. It was like about people going out for like these emergency calls, and they were just like insane stuff, like they'd be running into it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is this what Britt deals with like day in and day out. I was like, how did, how no, in the world? No, I,
1: I get to see those people one day, one to three days to three months down the line after they've had surgeries or whatnot and are going to rehab and trying to get, put the pieces back together. I get to take them to the next step of the process because generally how hospitals like, hospitals shockingly are not actually super restful places to be because people are coming in every four hours to take your vital signs and they're coming in every six hours to draw blood sometimes. And if you've injured yourself in certain way, like if you've broken your leg, it's not like you can just get up and go to the bathroom. No, you have to call somebody who has to come help you go to the bathroom and help you go back. And so surprisingly enough, and there's some noises and things beeping and intercom calls over oh, it's loudspeakers. It's just not a super restful place. So eventually, like once you are not an acute patient anymore, like once you are stabilized and have gotten to the point where you don't need as skilled of care, they will ship you off using yours truly to a rehab hospital or skilled nursing facility or home if you can if you have family members help you around and you're otherwise good to go get to give yourself medications and stuff as needed. Um, and that's where I come in because I get you out of the place where you can't get some rest to a place where you can hopefully get some more, some better rest.
0: Right. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to quickly adapt to the, the new information.
1: You were saying before I went down that many trail about how you feel like all this research you did, uh, kind of lied to you and i was talking about how i liked that it you know i liked i liked and didn't like this that is fact how, cause yeah
0: like i had all these questions like about like what like okay when you show up and like somebody's like leg is like gotten cut off like what are you what's going through your mind like stuff like that but yeah they were not job not, is not all extremely but... more boring
1: <laughs> i can walk you through what a typical call looks like for me
0: yeah do that that sounds like a good okay. idea
1: so what I primarily do is I primarily do hospital discharges. I work for an ambulance company that has a sister company in a city near me, about an hour away actually that has a contract with the hospital system. So that sister company is the first like it's the first company that they that system, hospital system calls to do discharges. And so they are quite busy. let's just put it that way. Um, so I go up there. My I get on my radio, and this butcher will say, "Hey, go to Green Hills Hospital. There's a patient in room 7126 that needs to go to spitting image nursing home uh, for rehab. The patient had a broken femur. And the pickup time is 1,300. And so I will go, okay. And then we drive to Green Hills Hospital. Is that what I used? Yes, Green Hills Hospital. We usually park at the emergency room. That's usually the best way for us to get into the hospital and access it. Uh, And so we'll park at the emergency room. We'll go inside, go up, go through the emergency room, go upstairs to the seventh floor, to that room. We'll find the nurse, say, hey, what's going on with this patient? Blah blah blah, yada yada yada, and they will hand us paperwork with their information on it. And they're usually they will give us a, big, a nice packet of paper that's going to the facility that the patient's going to, so that facility could know what's been what's gone on during that patient's stay. Um, so we'll go we'll take our stretcher up. We'll go up there. We'll, we'll adjust the stretcher all right. We'll get the bed adjusted the way we need to go. Well, general. Most of the time, our patients need to be sheet lifted. So we'll, she, we'll lift the patient over onto our stretcher. We'll put the seat belts on them, get them all nice and comfortable, as comfortable as we can, and whisk them down to our ambulance. We will put them in the ambulance. I'll take some vital signs. Uh, we'll drive to the to, to the Spitting Image Nursing Home. We will go inside and say, Hey, what room is this patient going to? Because invariably. No one at the hospital has an idea what room they're going to at the nursing home because half the time the nursing home doesn't know until we get here what room they're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we take them to whatever room we're told and we get them over to the bed, when, you know, whichever way we need to. And uh, we say, all right, we hope you have a, a good recovery patient, insert patient name here. Uh, and we will get there, you know, we'll, we'll finish things up with them. We'll go talk to the nurse at the receiving facility, hand over the paperwork, tell them what's going on, and hand over the paperwork, and then we go out to the truck, and we finish our report, and we call the dispatcher and say, hey, we're done, and our dispatcher will be like, all right, we got another one for you, go to such and such, and the cycle just repeats itself until our shift is over or hell freezes over, one of the two.
0: How long do they these like calls usually last?
1: Uh, so that varies somewhat. I would say one to two hours with several asterisks because it int- depends largely on is the staff at the you know at the sending at the sending facility, is the staff ready for us? Is the paperwork ready for us? Do we have to wait for medications for this patient before they go? If the nurse's art is, you know, is free, paperwork's already, and it's not a complicated transfer, we can get in and out of there in fifteen minutes. If you know, if the nurse is trying to take care of another patient and oh look, this piece of paperwork isn't completed correctly. We gotta wait for the social worker to get that done. And oh no, this patient is on oxygen and is 450 pounds. And oh gee, they have a broken leg so we have to be really careful when we're, when we're moving them. Yeah, no, we could be on scene for 45 minutes to an hour mm-hmm. just getting ready to go, not even out the door yet. And then at the at the other at the other end, we could have a situation where oh, the nurse is doing another admission. We need you to wait a few minutes so that the nurse can sign off Oh, we didn't know this patient was coming. Crap, we need to call our administrator and find out what room they're supposed to be in. What, it's Saturday night at 1030 at night? Oh no, the administrator won't pick up their phone. Gee. It
0: we'll sounds like a lot of account. what you deal with is the almost the, the logistics of talk, just talking to the nurses or whoever's around to make sure everything's...
1: I wouldn't say it happens often, but it happens frequently enough to be an annoyance. Yes. There are people in the industry who would be very mad at me if I they heard me say this. But I am, in large part, a very well-trained, decently paid medical taxi driver with some specialized equipment. I'm basically – I'm a logistics person. I get somebody from point A to point B, and I have specialized equipment to do that for specific types of people in specific situations.
0: Okay, one thing I was going to ask is like – the the patients that you deal with, I, I'm assuming most of them are pretty calm when you talk to them. Do you? I am I guessing what I'm wondering is like how you interact with them or how are they ever like worried or? or uh,
1: oh yeah, nervous Obviously, and kind I'll of freaking out a little bit. Anxi- I'll have I'll have patients that are anxious. Heck, I sometimes have patients that don't want to go where they're going. They don't want to leave the hospital or they don't know where they are in the first place. I have a good number of patients who have dementia or Alzheimer's and so they just plain don't know what's going on around anymore and it's sad, it's hard especially if they're confused and then you try to, you move them onto a stretcher and they completely freak out because they have no idea what you're doing all they know is that their situation is changing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they have even less control over their surroundings than they did before and that's really hard
0: what do you How do, do to kind of that? yeah, make them feel comfortable or kind of keep calm for yourself? Like,
1: do you know what I mean? Or- so that's two. That's two different questions, and I'm going to answer them separately. How do I help them stay comfortable? I do whatever it is I can do to calm, to keep them calm, whether it's play music on my phone, or just talk with them, or hold their hand, or just keep answering their questions, even if they've asked it. 20 times i will still answer that question for them just because that's what i need to do and sometimes i don't give a report done (laughs) until after the run because of that and that's fine that's what that patient needs at the time how do i deal with that for myself that's honestly a harder question like part of me has kind of gotten used to that just because i i've seen enough patients in that sort of condition to where I just, my brain has kind of just grown, figured out ways of just being like, okay, this is, this, this is where the patient's at. I need to meet them where they are and work from that point. And I think frankly, the word serenity comes to mind. You just kind of have to be at peace with where the patient is and meet them there and work from that point.
0: That makes sense. That was something that, uh, from the some of the stuff I watched, I thought would be a tricky part of the job. Just because it's almost like you you have to keep an even keel when people are in this like kind of extreme moment. Usually,
1: mm-hmm. I and I have I occasionally get that in two different that kind of thing in two different ways. Uh, sometimes, every once in a while, there are. More and more around the country, actually, there are is a growing movement for hospitals to create what are called freestanding emergency departments. Basically, these are emergency rooms that are not attached to a hospital. They're in their own little building. They're usually putting them in commercial districts, where you know where they're you know where people are you know a distance away from a hospital, but not super far away. But you know, these are happening more, in, especially in bigger cities. In, along the periphery, because a lot of you know, in a lot of cities, the hospitals were built in the city center. And in the U.S., especially, we have wide-flung suburbs where it might take 25 minutes to get to the hospital mm-hmm. in an ambulance. And so, if you've got an emergency room five minutes away that can handle a lot of things, people are more likely to go there and not to the big one downtown where which is probably overcrowded and you know struggling to keep up and that's where all the serious or most of the serious patients go anyway so it provides an additional layer of being able to take care of some of the some of the things that an urgent care wouldn't necessarily be able to take care of but don't necessitate like going to an emergency room that has a trauma surgeon and all of that stuff on standby ready to go they it helps free up capacity at a bigger at a bigger hospital for more serious patients but every once in a while they will have a stroke or a appendix is about about to burst or something like that those can't be dealt with in a freestanding emergency room they don't have surgeons there they don't have operating rooms mm-hmm. so they'll call That's that's part of the contract with our sister company. They will call the sister company and say, hey, we've got this patient here with all the symptoms of appendicitis. We need to get them to Green Hills Hospital where they've got a, a surgical team waiting for you. We just need to get them there. And that's what we'll do. We'll show up. We'll load them up. Get a quick report. Boom. Off down the road to Green Hills Hospital. Drop them off take them either to the emergency room or sometimes straight to the OR, Well, not usually straight to the OR, you know, straight to pre-op. There's a lot of things, you know, there's a significant number of times where it's a cardiac patient and they need to go have a stent placed or something like that. Sometimes crews will take patients straight to the cath lab where those where that stuff is done and they'll just put them right on the table, right there, where the, the imaging stuff is for that, transfer care right there and, you know, and head out sometimes you know you're taken if it's that urgent of a thing you'll go right to where that thing's going to happen but for the most part transfers like that are freestanding emergency room to the emergency room of a bigger hospital but every once in a while we'll get a lights and sirens call like that where we res- either respond lights and sirens to the freestanding or we'll go from the freestanding to the hospital lights and siren because it's that serious.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: what were we talking about before I let it trail again oh lordy
0: well I was a- I was asking you about like kind of your your temp your temperament oh so
1: yes sorry so on freestanding runs like that where like if we have an appendicitis patient or something like that yeah it's serious and that's stressful because every second counts at that point and we do need to get them there and so it will be stressful for those the other one which I get more often, and I think is quite frankly a little bit more stressful for me, is hospice patients. Patients that Mm -hmm. we are taking from the hospital to a hospice center. And these patients are, a lot of times, I mean, they're going to hospice, so clearly they are reaching the end of, you know, they're rapidly approaching the end of their life. And that's not an easy thing to see, both for the patient and for the families as well. It's just very... Mm -hmm. It's just tough to, <laughs> it's tough to look mortality in its face like that because I know of people before, I know of people in the industry who have had hospice patients die in the ambulance from the hospital to the hospice center. Oh my gosh. Like they, the patients were that close to the end of their lives. Uh, and a lot of times patients might not last more than a day or two after we take them there. Now some, sometimes they'll, they'll hang on for weeks. And we don't really ever, like, I don't really ever find out how long a, a given patient would last. But they're going, you know, its it, they've gone to that hospice center for a reason. And that is because their life
0: is nearing its end. And it's just,
1: thats just not an easy thing to see by any means.
0: That was one thing I was kind of wondering about with with your job kind of dealing with, like, life and death type steaks like which isn't normal probably for most jobs i keep thinking about like when i used to wait tables and that it'd be like if you messed up an order like people would get mad but it was like it was just like you know the hamburger had pickles on it or something it's it's not like life or death type stuff like is it probably takes a special person to to do that type of work does it ever like wear you down or do you feel like you're kind of good with it or
1: no, it, it's definitely tiring. It's a, it's a career field that does take a certain type of person, but it also requires you to have a good support system around you. It's not a thing you can do on your own. You need to have loved ones who can care for you and support you when you need it. Uh, you need to have other things to do with your life, because if you if that if EMS is all you're doing with your life, you are very likely to burn yourself out you need to have things that refresh and renew you because it is a thing that you have to give a lot of yourself is the wrong word, but like it is a, it is a draining thing to do. It's not just working for 12 hours at a time, 12 hours at a time itself is pretty draining for me at least, but the work you're having, you know, I am giving for a period of time, at least I'm giving myself to these patients. Like I am, Taking care of their needs, I'm making sure that they get where they need to go, just as healthy as I found them, if not a little bit healthier, hopefully. And that you know, that's that takes it out of you, and so you need, whether it's faith, or you know, whether it's a faith community, whether it's video games, what whatever it is, you need something that lets you reset and build back up a little bit before doing it all
0: over again how do you i mean if you don't mind me asking how do
1: i have a lovely girlfriend who is very supportive of me i have i have uh some great uh, online communities that i'm a part of that uh help give me a lot of times it actually helps me the online communities help give me perspective because Mm -hmm. i'm able to step outside of myself and my situation for a moment and realize, right, there is a whole world out here that I'm not necessarily seeing when I'm stuck in this very personal and very like one-on-one environment, when, which is what patients, well, uh, you know, when it's just me and the patient in the back. It's a very one-on-one experience, and so when I'm able to step back and kind of immerse myself in that broader context, it helps in providing a, a context in which I exist and realize, okay, right. Yes, there is more going on in this world than just the here and now of what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Which is makes very sense. helpful. I can see that being and, helpful for any, anybody doing any type of work is just knowing like what they're doing is kind of a small thing, like in the grand scheme of things sort of.
1: And it's also helpful too, to know that yes, you know, while I'm only with my patient for maybe an hour or two, I am doing something that's going to help them
0: mm-hmm.
1: over the much longer term. I'm getting them to where they need to go <coughs> Excuse me. to uh, to get healthier and get better and hopefully live, you know, an extended period of time beyond that little bit of time that that person and I are spending together. So it's, it's nice to have a small, but also disproportionate impact in a positive way on someone. Um, because i'm getting them to rehab or you know to to, you know physical therapy type rehabilitation
0: okay uh i'm curious like if this is like what you do as as for your living like when you're not working like say you're like you're shopping or you're like i don't know just kind of out and about do you Uh feel like you almost like you have a special antenna to notice like if something's like not Right. Yes, just around people i do
1: actually i do and i have a story for you along that very vein <laughs> so i was traveling have i Have you were you around at all when i told my my travel stories from when i was returning from england
0: I, I think i remember that but i don't know if i heard him i don't know if i heard okay the story
1: so i was returning from england i i went listener uh i think it was in may of this year i went to london england in in a vain attempt to see England leave the European Union, and then they never left, and they still haven't left. Uh, They're saying that 100% for sure this time we're going to leave on October 31st. I still don't believe it. But regardless, uh, I went with a friend. It was lovely. We had a great six days in England. It was sunny every day pretty much, except for I think half of one day where it rained a little bit. But it was great. I don't think it will ever happen again in my lifetime, when I am there at least. If I ever go back, I... It will probably rain all six days and be absolutely miserable, and it will be typical England. But regardless, so I'm in England. Uh, I'm I'm trying to leave England, and I check in 30 seconds too late for my flight. My friend checks in just in time; he gets his boarding pass. I'm 30 seconds too late, and I bought a cheap, cheap, cheap ticket, not refundable, not transferable, nothing. So I am done. I'm screwed. So I told my friend, get on the flight. We were going to go to Vienna for like, we were going to be in Vienna for like 12 hours during our our layover. But I like tell him, go, I'll see you in Chicago, which is where we flew in and out of. So off he goes. It's nine o'clock in the morning in London. So it's like 3 a.m. in in America, in the Eastern time zone. And so I get on Discord and I'm like, hey, uh, is anybody around? I kind of need help. I have all the only thing that I have right now is my cell phone.
0: I do remember I this now I'm that you're like, bringing, I, I remember seeing that <laughs> message or oh, go ahead. So, uh,
1: so some some people on discord very kindly helped me get another flight or help me, you know, figure out, find another flight. Uh, Cause they had desktop computers with like actual keyboards. It was great. Uh, and so I read, you know, I booked another flight to through Dublin. And so I go to Dublin I, you know, a fly in in the evening. I have to go out through security because the airport closes after 11 PM in Dublin, hmm. at least that terminal does. But, uh, so the, the air side does, but not the, like the outside, they leave like the outside of it open for overnight people who don't want to go get a hotel. So there was a couple, like one restaurant open restaurant being very loose regardless. So I stay overnight, meet some people. It was great. Have fun. Sleep maybe three hours. It was lovely. Um, And then I get up in the morning, uh, get up, I get my stuff back together in the morning and uh, go through security as soon as the, uh, Dublin is actually really, really cool. Uh, It's called a pre-clearance facility where I actually cleared customs before I left Dublin. Like I went through customs in Dublin Hmm. and was on, according to customs at least, I was on American soil in this one part of this terminal in Dublin, which was cool. And so I'm in this terminal. I'm trying to catch a few more, a little bit more sleep, and then out of the corner of my ears, I hear the word paramedics, and my eyes shoot. One of my eyes shoots open, and I look around, like okay, and then I, I, would figure out who it was. It was this airport employee talking to this man, and his wife standing next to her, or they're walking alongside him, in like a a push, not like a wheelchair wheelchair, but like a. This is a chair that we help that we use to push old people through the terminal when they can't they're, when they're having trouble walking. And it was just like a normal airport staff person, but they're saying, "Yeah, we got we called the paramedics already," which is when my eye flew open. I looked her over, and like he looked like he was. There's you eventually develop an eye for it. There's just kind of a look that somebody gets on their face when they're not feeling well, when there's something going on with them that's not quite right there is a just kind of a facial expression or one of several, I guess. Hmm. And, and he was wearing one of those facial expressions. And I was like, all right. So then I had to do some mental math of like, I'm in a foreign country <laughs> <laughs> where they don't necessarily recognize my training, but also these are American. Well, the guy was British. The lady was American. So I was like, all right, I can go over and tell you important employees that I'm an EMT and ask if they need any help. And eventually I decide to do that. So I get up, I walk over and they're like, oh yeah, we, the, the airport person, oh yeah, we called the paramedics. And as, and, and as they said that, the ambulance pulled up outside on like on the tarmac outside right there and walked in. And actually I had a very lovely conversation. I, you know, turns out guy was having chest pains, but it was more uh, psychological than uh, actual like cardiac issue. He was just, it was stress um had a very you know ended up getting breakfast with that couple His couple hmm. very nice conversation all all's well that ends well I actually need to write them a letter at some point in the near future i need to track down their information again because it's around here somewhere but yeah
0: the guy that was having the chest pains or even yes the, the, that's guy the guy that, guy that you're guy talking about wife. yeah that yeah. you ate with yep. okay wow that's yes. cool yeah,
1: he, they're both college professor-ish people. They teach she teaches at a college in Mississippi, Missouri, Missouri, I think. And he's kind of like an itinerant lecturer of some sort economics, political science-ish. I can't remember exactly, but yes. But it was like it was one of those situations where I was able to with my ear, you know, my ear perked up at a keyword, and then I looked and then I was able to just do a quick scan and be like yeah, okay, I guess. I guess I should probably drag my disheveled ass over there and see what's going on. Because <laughs> I had just slept three hours in an airport. I was not I was not like a shining, sterling specimen of humanity. I was a guy who had missed his flight and so got another one, and then had slept for three hours uncomfortably in the, the front of a terminal of an airport, basically on the ground. So I'm sure I was spectacular spectacular example of humanity
0: well uh, probably yeah. so i mean but yes probably but then, were a big it, comfort to them i would think
1: I, it actually it was very cool because the paramedics showed up and were talking with him and they did take him out to the ambulance for like 20 minutes i think did probably an ekg on his heart just making sure everything was all right and then brought him back inside everything was fine but during that time i was able to talk with her kind of explain a little you know reassure her of kind of what was going on that i'm sure everything's fine just probably i was able to find out a little bit more there was some some things going on in in his life that were they had come back for a funeral and there was family Mm. complications and so he had very good reasons to be stressed out that makes sense Um, and so so but yeah it was it was just nice actually what's funny is I was able to see them get on. You know, I was able to walk. I basically walked onto the plane with them and actually walked them to baggage claim, as well. Oh uh, wow. And helped them get some of their baggage together. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. But I guess long that's a that's a very long winded of saying way of saying yes. You kind of do get a sixth sense after a while of when when things are going on. It doesn't always work, but. You're able to, and actually, I'll tell you another anecdote that's somewhat related. Uh, my partner, I just got a new partner recently, an 18 year old young lady, fresh out of school. Uh, about a month and a half ago, she finished school, um, EMT school. And uh, she had forgotten some paperwork up, up on the floor that we'd come down from. Uh, so she decided, she, so she went up back up there to get it and she decided to run four flights of stairs run down four flights of stairs and so was audibly wheezing when she got into the ED that we were walking into or that we had gone into before we realized and she had it was i turned around cuz i was like who is that wheezing oh goodness but she had she had emergency room doctors turning and looking at her like are you okay and so it's that kind of it's that kind of emergency medicine type of thing where your ears start tuning into it your eyes start tuning into it and you're just like what's wrong oh never mind it's just a person with a really red face who decided to run down four flights of stairs no big deal
0: (laughs) do you get this is kind of related to what i'd asked you earlier but i was thinking like the, the type of work you do it just sounds really like scary to me um, do you get it, it sounds like what like you what you do is you you usually know kind of what you're getting into for the most part uh-huh. or at least the type of situation you're getting into
1: generally yes ninety nine point zero percent of the time I know what I'm getting into there's always that one percent does your, where you get something interesting
0: does your ambulance have like a siren and all all that stuff oh yeah
1: it's a it is a basically fully stocked ambulance. There's a few pieces of equipment that an EMS ambulance would have that we don't have because we would basically never use it.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
1: something, example called a hair traction splint, which is a splint you use when somebody breaks a long bone in, in a leg, like pre, actually basically just used for if somebody fractures their femur, which is their the upper bone from your knee to your hip. That's your femur bone. And if that gets broken it can, so if you break it towards the middle, uh, it can actually slide like next to each other. Like, the two halves can slide next to each other, which is intensely painful. And so to alleviate that pain, what you can do is use this traction splint to actually pull the leg back in t- so that to uh, so hold tension on the leg so that those two ends of the, of the bone uh, either are not touching or are just touching the ends together rather than scrape being scraped alongside Mm. each other uh we don't carry one of those because it's we're never we're basically never going to come upon a situation where we would need to use that if we ever needed to do that if we came upon a car accident or something and needed to do that we would hold that traction manually rather than needing to carry that splint around all the time okay whereas whereas in fire department ambulance for example would have that because there is much more of a chance that they would need to use that but we have an we have an aed we have a a drug bag with the medications that i'm allowed to use at my level of training i have splinting equipment if i need to splint somebody's broken arm Um, i have basically everything that a fire department ambulance would have except for a couple of pieces of gear that as i said we would very rarely if ever have to use
0: okay this question feels like a um it's almost like designed to not even have an interesting answer but i'm going to ask it anyway Mm -hmm. because i'm kind of curious are there any like just really really boring things that that you have to do at at your job that people wouldn't think think of
1: um hmm. there any really boring things yes i have to look through i have to look over paperwork that i am given from the hospital and make sure that certain boxes are filled out in the way that insurance companies want them to be filled out there are specific like there is a specific form that i have to do that essentially we use to tell the insurance company hey this doctor says that this patient needs to go by ambulance for this reason and i have to make sure that now this reason is a blank that they have to fill out essentially. But like, I have to make sure the doctor's name is on there. I have to make sure that, you know, the reason why the patient is going by ambulance is filled out. I have to, you know, there's like, there's, I think 14 boxes of which 11 have to be filled out or would need to be filled out by the hospital. Uh, The other three are the information for my company. Um, and I have to go through that form every time and make sure. Oh, yep, they got this filled out. They didn't. Oh, they didn't do this. Crap. Well, now I have to ask this nurse to fill in why this patient is going by the ambulance because half the time that's the one that's not filled out. So, like pa- paperwork stuff. Yeah. I guess is, is the the better answer. So the shorter answer is nitpicky paperwork things. It's not a thing most people would expect me to have to do. But I have to do it because if not, then my billing department has to call their billing department and say, hey, this didn't get filled out properly. Can you guys do this again and do it the right way this time?
0: I'm imagining you like that. driving mm-hmm. and having to like fill this paperwork out, like while the truck is like bouncing, <laughs> veering
1: all over the road. Yeah, no, luckily, luckily, we only usually have to do that after we show up at the ambulance uh, with the at, the at the scene with the ambulance,
0: which is nice you said sometimes it is an emergency call. Like what's it, mm-hmm. do you have to turn on the sirens and like drive? Like, are you the guy like, you know, everybody's pulling to the side of the street and you're like allowed to just like hurry. Every speed? Like
1: if the if the necessity is great enough, we can do that. Yes. However, a common misconception is, or what people, one thing that most people don't actually understand about, uh, about lights and sirens travel is that it there are two there's two things. One, it doesn't actually save you that much save you that much time. Generally, it only saves. Uh, I think the average savings for lights and sirens call going lights and sirens versus not is like 30
0: seconds. Oh, really?
1: Yes, and it also significantly increases the risk of uh, injury for the crew because of accidents you're a lot more likely to be in an accident if you are going lights and sirens than you are to be following normal traffic.
0: I was kind of wondering like if you're in those circumstances, like from my point of view, it's like, Oh, that person can go like as fast as they need to. Like is, I'm sure there mm-hmm. are like rules even about. Yeah. Yeah. When so you're actually, in that moment.
1: Mm-hmm. at least in the state of Ohio where I operate, if I am going lights and sirens, I have to proceed with what is this nice legal term, due regard, which means I have to. I do not get right of way. Right of way is supposed to be yielded to me, but I can't. I can't take the right of way. It is not mine to take. It is for others to give. So I have to, by law, I'm supposed to stop at intersections and visually ensure that every, like all the other vehicles, are stopped before I proceed into that intersection. Right. I am. If someone in front of me. It's not moving out of my way, I can't run into the back of them and then be like, hey, they didn't move out of my way. I still have to proceed with due regard, maintain clearance, all of that jazz. If I run into somebody and I'm going lights and sirens, that's still my fault.
0: That seems like extra awful, like if it's an ambulance that like runs into somebody. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty... There's a
1: YouTube video that you should look up of, well, or you should or shouldn't look up, depending on your squeamishness, of two New York City Fire Department or NYFD uh, ambulances running into each other, responding to – they were both responding to the same call. One busts through a light that they shouldn't have. They should have been stopped. They should have stopped at the intersection. They barrel into the intersection, and another ambulance T-bones that ambulance because they also don't stop at the intersection. Oh, my gosh. And It rolls one of them over on the side. I believe – I don't know. I can't remember if there was a fatality – There were at least four firefighters injured in the accident. Oh, my God. And as well, you now have two units that were responding to a call that are now out of one. Not only are they out of service, but now you are having to pull additional units. Like you now have you've now created two more runs because you now have to send two more ambulances to those ambulances and a third ambulance going to the call that they were going to in the first place.
0: That's when they would call you guys
1: maybe i mean that's definitely a possibility but in a bigger city like new york new york that's not necessarily as big of a deal but if that happens in a town where you've only got three ambulances yeah you've significantly diminished the capabilities for your whole community and so that's why that's why due regard is so important for for emergency responders that that same principle applies to police fire and ems as well like If you are going lights and sirens, that doesn't give you a ticket to go as fast as you want through stoplights and stuff. And actually, I believe my company's policy, at least, on lights and sirens response is you are only allowed to go 10 miles an hour with a speed limit. So you're not supposed to be going ridiculously fast, even if you're on a highway or something, just because you're also dealing with... uh, vehicles that are a little bit more top heavy than most vehicles are and so you run the risk of rolling it over mm-hmm. if you're going too fast and try to turn too quickly so lights and sirens doesn't mean you get to leave common sense behind you have to you still have to drive your vehicle you still have to drive your vehicle i'm
0: imagine now i'm imagining like a police car like trying to pull over an ambulance or i mean that probably would police cars, not happen. Police
1: cars do pull over ambulances every once in a while, but not normally when they're going lights and sirens. Right. Uh, especially private, private ambulances will get pulled over once in a while if they're driving too fast on the highway and the cop is feel, feels like proving a point. They will pull them over sometimes and be like, hey, you were just going 85 at a 70. What are you doing? Your lights aren't on. Why are you going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit? It happens. Not very often, but it, it happens. And they have every right to do that because if our lights aren't on, we're just another vehicle.
0: Okay. Like, um, do you get like squeamish about anything? You see, like, yes, you, yes.
1: I don't do poop. <laughs> I do not do poop. Poop is not a thing that I do. Nope.
0: Do you just pass it I on can... to the partner, your partner, or do you?
1: I mean, I will deal with it if I have to.
0: Yeah.
1: But generally. It's So there are several, there are a couple of scents that just I avoid if I can, if at all possible. The smell of, the strong smell of poop, the strong smell of emesis or vomit. Those are the two biggies for me. I'm just like, neither one of those things are things that I want to be around. If I can avoid them, I will avoid them at all costs. Um, Blood doesn't really bother me. I'm not a big fan of needles, but I'm okay with them as long as they're pointed away from me mm-hmm. and i'm basically okay with them as long as they're coming into me i just don't want to watch but yeah like the, the two biggies for me are poop and vomit urine is unpleasant but that's manageable but like and also the smell of decaying flesh is just also not great and you will smell that sometimes in the hospital because sometimes people will have wounds that are not healing properly
0: Mm-hmm. And also
1: aren't getting proper blood flow, and so the f- the the flesh is dying in that area, and it has a very particular smell that is very unpleasant
0: that that sounds like something I've probably smelled but not known what it was kind of thing
1: yes probably. Yeah, it's a good possibility not not a fun not a fun smell
0: like how frequently are you in situations where you're dealing with like blood and like these things so
1: um <laughs> I mean, a lot of my patients are incontinent, so there, there's. It's not uncommon for me, to, for me to come into a room and immediately go, "Oh, this patient needs to be cleaned up." This, yep, that there, we've had a bowel movement, and this needs to be taken care of. And luckily, the vast majority. Of the time, I've never had to clean a patient up. Actually, nursing staffs are usually quite kind about. Making sure that patients are cleaned up and ready to go before, either before or when we get there, they will make sure things are ready to go. But there are some nursing homes that are understaffed and thus don't clean up their patients as often as one might want. And so there's a nice wafting odor of various biological waste products that kind of just waft down the hallways. Which is always lovely.
0: Okay, one thing I learned about you from a previous episode—I haven't talked to you about this since then, really. So I don't know if things, what the status of this is. You Mm -hmm. were talking about a potential move, like in the future. I was wondering, like, do you think you'll, will you be able to just transfer to a to do the same work?
1: Yes. So I'm working right now on getting back something that I got when I first. Took my class, which is called my National Registry Certification. So the National Registry of Emergency Medical Technicians is an organization that, uh, how do I describe this? Essentially creates standards for certification of EMTs. Not all, not they don't, you know, not all 50 states have signed on, but there's something like I don't know, 30 or 30 some or 40 ish. Let me look this up real quick, actually. I will just look up how many states have signed on for this. So there are five. There are 45 states in the United States that require the National Registry certification for initial license year as an EMT. Yeah, so it looks like at the EMT level, there's about 43 or 44 states that use the National Registry for that. So essentially, all but a few states in the United States have um, – Decided to go along with this, the National Registry's uh, certification standards as their as their state standards for certification as well. They will accept the National Registry certification as a credential for certification in that state. Which means that if I can, once I get that certification back, I can go to I can move I could move there pretty easily to any of those states. As long as I had that certification, they would grant me certification in that state as well. Some of them might require a transition course if they require or if they allow more than that standard. But 44, you know, those states have said this is at least our minimum of what we will allow people to do. This is the minimum training we want people to have, et cetera. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, yes. So to answer your question, yes, I will be doing doing EMS when I move as well, at least initially, because I can make decent money with it, and it's what I like to do. Then it will be very easy for me to just transition.
0: Are you wanting to finish, I guess, school before you move? Yes. I'm
1: I'm going to be doing this semester and next semester, and I will be done, Mm -hmm. and it will be glorious, and then I can move on from there and figure out what the heck I want to do with my life, actually.
0: Cool. Yes. Um, it is. Cool. Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and wrap this up and let you let you get back to whatever you're wanting to do. But uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for answering problem. all my questions.
1: I, I always appreciate uh, people giving me the opportunity to educate people on the side of EMS that nobody really thinks about. It's, uh, it's nobody really thinks about. Wait, how does grandma get home? how did grandma get to the nursing facility from the hospital? Nobody ever thinks about that.
0: It is pretty Answer. mysterious. Like that was one thing I learned the other day. I was like, I mean, it made sense when I saw it, but it was like the, at least the, the EMTs that I was watching on YouTube, they had like, a, had, had a kind of a home base facility that they kind of just sat there and waited for calls. Basically.
1: There are definitely, there are different definitely companies that work that way. There are definitely companies where people will go back to base and, chill out for a little while it's just my company's busy enough to where we're moving
0: all day yeah so well cool I, yeah i appreciate it and uh and uh i guess yeah i'll let you go and uh if you're listening to oh, okay. this thanks thanks everybody for listening thank
1: mm-hmm. you listeners for listening to me drone <laughs> on and on and on on right ra- on random tangents
0: okay cool